This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good afternoon and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. It's that time of year the temperature is dropping and people are starting to sniffle. So today we're going to hear about the more serious winter respiratory infections and the vaccinations that are available, including the vaccine for COVID 2023-2024, the annual flu vaccine, and now one for respiratory syncytial virus, also known as RSV. We are always happy to welcome the return of one of our favorites, Dr. Paul Offit, Director of the Vaccine Education Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Professor of Pediatrics, and the Maurice Hillman Professor of Vaccinology at the Perlman School of Medicine at Penn. He is a world-renowned expert in infectious diseases, the study of immunology, viruses, and vaccines, the co-creator of Rotatech, an oral vaccine for the rotavirus, which is associated with life-threatening diarrhea in children around the world. He's been recognized with countless prestigious awards for his research and teaching from universities, national medical societies, the NIH, and over 75 more. He's an advisor to Food and Drug Administration and the CDC and other scientific committees, Quoted in Newsweek, seen on TV, but his favorite place to visit is here on your radio doctor. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. (laughs) Paul, people have become more familiarized, maybe not accurately so, with words like vaccine, booster, T cells, B cells. Can we do a quick refresher on what has been the history or the timeline of protecting people from covid and the distinction of the first two injections and then boosters after that, and what to expect now. Sure. So um, everyone needs to be vaccinated. Um, Everyone over six months of age can be vaccinated. This virus is going to be with us for years, if not decades, if not longer. We're always going to be facing this virus. And I think in much the same way we've been facing influenza since the mid-1300s. So get used to this virus being around. I think people, um, this is at least a three-dose vaccine. With, with at least two of the um, doses being separated by about four months or so. So I think it's at least a three-dose vaccine. 
um, or a two-dose vaccine plus a natural infection. I think for generally for healthy young people, that usually provides the kind of hybrid immunity that should be protect you for a while. Um, the goal of the vaccine is to protect against severe disease. That's the goal. Um, the, the, the critical component for protection against um, all symptomatic infection, including mild disease, are antibodies. So if you have high levels of antibodies in your bloodstream at the time you're exposed to the virus, you should be well protected against mild disease. But, but, but the component, the immunological component that's important in protection against severe disease is not antibodies, which are the product of B cells, but, but rather something called T cells. And T cells do a couple of things. One, they help uh, B cells make antibodies, but two, and really the more important thing they do is they kill virus infected cells. They're Pac-Men. They're Pac-Men. Kind of. Yeah. And, and, and it happens very quickly. The minute a virus enters a cell, a cell will take sort of part of the virus, just a, sort of an, an amino acid peptide that's maybe nine or 15 amino acids long, put it on the surface of the cell and basically say, I've been attacked by some, a foreign virus, kill me, so that my cell, this cell does not make hundreds or thousands of new virus particles. Mm -hmm. And so toxic T cells are actually the first thing to have. If you've been vaccinated or you've been naturally infected or both, and then you're exposed to the virus, really the first thing that comes up, the thing that most correlates with protection against uh, disease and, and, and decrease in viral shedding are cytotoxic T cells. So I think um, they're really important. And the good news is they recognize parts of the virus that are relatively well conserved. I mean, from the original strain, the so-called ancestral strain, Wuhan 1 strain, to the current strains that are circulating, those T cell responses are relatively well conserved. So that's the good news. Mm -hmm. So when we say the initial two shots, we were calling that the vaccine and that stirs. So let me rewind the tape a little bit. So our listeners have a, a, an image of this. Your blood contains red cells that carry oxygen and your white cells are the soldiers that fight off virus, bacterial infection, cancer cells, hopefully. And the, the T cells are the killer cells or the Pac-Men that can uh, destroy or eat up a virus or recognize it. And that when your T cells are stimulated by the vaccine, one and two, it, if you're, you want your immune system to develop a memory, a longer term memory, so that when anything, when that virus comes back again or anything similar to it, you have at least some protection. The boosters, so that would be shot three and shot four, would start another type of a white blood cell called a B cell. The B cell makes a protein that we call antibody, and that protects us from mild disease. Is that pretty fair? The T cell is to go after severe disease. B cell gets us over the hump and, and renews our strategy for protection from mild disease. Right. Well, so every dose of the vaccine, whether it's the first dose or the second dose or the third dose, will induce both both those arms of the immune system, both B cells that make antibodies and T cells that can kill virus infected cells. I think people should think about this as, a, as at least a three dose vaccine. I think if you're in um, a high risk group, such as, for example, people who are elderly, people who have high-risk medical conditions that put them at highest risk of getting severe COVID, people who are pregnant, people who are immune compromised. Those people, I think, also benefit from a booster dose and even arguably a yearly booster dose. But I think for mm -hmm. generally a young, healthy population who've had at least three doses of the vaccine or two doses of natural infection, they're probably protected against severe disease for a while and possibly years. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is, uh, so that people make sure that we that they heard that 
either three doses if you're fortunate enough to have not had COVID, or if you've had COVID and you you know build up your own army, and then you have the help of at least two other shots. I'm saying shots because I don't want to confuse people with a vaccine or booster. Uh, that that a, a great deal of our population now is pretty safe from severe disease. Is that fair to say? I think that is true. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, you see mm-hmm. now a very high level of what's called hybrid immunity in the population, meaning people who've been both vaccinated and naturally infected, even with a mild or asymptomatic natural infection. And that provides a very high level of, of protection, which is what you're seeing. I mean, the incidence of hospitalizations is way down. The incidence mm-hmm. of deaths is way down. We sort of forget where we were in 2020 or 2021 when you'd have 3,000 people dying a day. Yeah people dying a day. I mean, we're not there anymore. Um, so I think um, that's a com- that's a combination of both people being vaccinated and people being naturally infected or both. Mm-hmm. So if we could, Lim, can we talk a little bit about the, the current vaccine that we're calling COVID vaccine for 2023-24? Sure. So that's that's the, the quote unquote yearly booster. It's It contains a strain called the XBB.1.5 strain, which is uh, similar to the current circulating strains. And um, th- this country has recommended that booster dose for everybody over six months of age. That's not true of most countries. Most countries like the United Kingdom, Germany, Scandinavian countries, Australia, um, the World Health Organization generally recommend that that booster dose, if you will, assuming people have already been vaccinated or naturally infected or both for just the high risk groups. This country is, is really um, unusual in that we recommend it for everybody over six months of age. But I think if you ask me, I guess, who most likely benefits, it's those people who are in high risk groups, because those are the people who are getting hospitalized. Those are the people who are dying from this virus. Mm-hmm. And so the current uh, buzz strain is XBB.1.5 or 0.1.5. Are there any others that people should look for in news clips? I was seeing EG.5 or FL1.5. I mean, I, I guess we're getting too much into the weeds. Pretty much people should know that the current vaccine will protect from the circulating strains. Yeah, I think even more reassuring. If you only got the Wuhan 1 strain, the original strain, and if we only continued to use that as the vaccine, you would still be well be well protected against serious disease because protection against serious disease is mediated in large part by T cells, which unlike B cells, um, recognize uh, parts of the virus that are very well conserved. I mean, once, we, once Omicron came into this country, we crossed the line. Omicron was immune evasive. It evaded the immune system. But the part of the immune system that it really evaded was the part, the B cell part, the antibody part, not so much the T cell part, which really uh, it hadn't evaded, which is why when Omicron came into the country, you saw a dramatic increase in cases, but not nearly as dramatic an increase in hospitalizations and deaths because people were still relatively protected, well protected against serious I disease. See. So the spike is, is that probably the most easily recognized portion of the virus that the T cells like to attach to or? Well, so it's interesting, actually. So you're right. The, the spike protein um, or the so-called fusion protein is is the protein on the surface of the virus that attaches the virus to cells. So obviously, if you make antibodies to the surface protein, the virus can't attach to cells. The T cells, especially the so-called killer T cells, cytotoxic T cells, actually recognize a, a, another of the four structural proteins of the virus called the nuclear protein. And it's very conserved. Those nuclear proteins are sort of well-conserved sort of across all the strains. So that's the good news. Actually, if you ask me what would be a, a vaccine I would like to get, the perfect vaccine, it 
would be an mRNA vaccine like those made by Pfizer and Moderna that had not only the mRNA that was coding for that spike protein, but also an mRNA that coded for the nuclear protein, because that would even further boost my T-cell responses, which I think would provide even longer lasting, better memory T-cell response, which would protect me against severe disease, hopefully for a long time. And again, not to get too much in the weeds, are those nuclear proteins internal or are they on the surface of the virus? Internal. Mm -hmm. As That's why you call it nuclear, I guess. Uh, so the CDC says everybody over age six months, and you look at it a little bit differently. Yeah, I guess I look at it as, as the World Health Organization looks at it, and as many other developed world countries like the United Kingdom or, or Germany look at it, which is, I think, is, is who's most likely to get severe disease? Because that's the goal, protect against severe disease. And, and I think in this country, as in other countries, it's those people in high-risk groups. But see, you could argue this two ways. You could say, those people need to get vaccinated. What's the best way to convince them to get vaccinated? Is it to say, look, here are the high-risk groups, you should get vaccinated, and that would be the most likely way to do it? Or would it be to say, everybody should get, be, get vaccinated, and that would be the best way to do it? And I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, that this country, right. I think, has made the decision that the best way to get the most people vaccinated, including high-risk groups, is to make a universal recommendation. But I, I sort of see it in another way where, for example, people who aren't in high-risk groups, like someone who, who lives in the home of someone who's immune compromised, yes. or someone who lives in a nursing home, um, I think that, that by making that recommendation that for everybody, then even those groups can understand that they, too, uh, would need to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Does it become an insurance issue if the CDC doesn't recommend, you can't mandate, but does it become an insurance issue if it's not recommended by the CDC? I think that that's all exactly right. Because yeah. if you look at those other countries like United Kingdom, Germany, Australia, et cetera, and the Scandinavian countries, those have national health programs. They right, right, right. Programs. So everybody gets paid for it. Whereas here, they worry, I think, that, that insurers wouldn't pay for it unless it was universal. But I think that's what's so great about you, among other things, Paul. It took you 27 years or so to design the Rota uh, Rototech. Um, you're, you're such a great thinker. So people love about you and, and you're willing to say, uh, instead of painting with a broad brush, let's think here that, uh, the yearly vaccine or yearly boost or whatever we call it may not be completely risk-free to every benefit there. They have to worry about, uh, any risks. And, and we were surprised with myocarditis and pericarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle, the heart sac. Um, and I guess we'll know more 10 years from now, right? When we look back and see uh, what we learned, just like we learned so much about the immune system from HIV and how we can use immunotherapy with cancer and other therapies. And uh, I guess we just have to be patient, collect the information or data, as we say, and see where it leads us. So You'd feel happy if the people at the in the high risk groups, people that have comorbidities like diabetes, obesity, heart and lung. We're gonna we're gonna narrow down the obesity too, because I think sometimes people call overweight obesity, and there's a, a definite distinction there. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so about seventy percent of the country is overweight and obese. About forty percent obese. Mm -hmm. Let's take a little break, and when we come back, more from Dr. Paul Offit about the current COVID vaccine. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. 
At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Welcome back to your radio doctor with Dr. Paul Ovid. Paul, thanks for those distinctions about the COVID vaccine and this season's um, vaccine for 2023-24. So you encourage people to test. People aren't testing as much as they were, I think. Um, But if you do test positive, treat early. Paxlovid still your go-to? Well, it depends on your medical uh, story. Um, Paxlovid mm-hmm. would be the most likely, uh, but for some people who absolutely can't take Paxlovid under any conditions, then remdesivir would be the second line agent. But I think you make a really good point, Marianne, because uh, when you looked at those high-risk groups, one thing that, that those high-risk groups or a number of people in those high-risk groups come have in common is they might not make a very good immune response to the vaccine. And therefore, for them, if they develop respiratory symptoms, to test yourself early, and if you are positive, treat early with Paxlova, that's probably the best way to save your life, much better in some for some than even getting uh, the booster dose. And I feel like by constantly focusing on the vaccine, we, we haven't really paid as much attention to the importance of antivirals. Mm-hmm. So if somebody has uh, an antiarrhythmic or certain medications that they can't take Paxlovid, you'd you'd point to remdesivir? Right. Well, so that depends on on how the doctor assesses risk. Mm. So, you know, if you stopped, for example, another medicine you're on with which Paxlovid interferes, you still may be able to stop that for a day or two or three or four while you're getting that medicine. But, But only your doctor can figure out the relative risk benefit ratio there. Are there any meds that, that pop into the front of your mind? Like I know I have a few patients on a medicine called Ticacin and they cannot take Paxlovid. Yeah, there, there are a number of, of a bunch of them. Yeah. Of them. Yes. Just as we tell our patients every week who listen, don't put anything in your mouth, something you can buy over the counter until you talk with your doctor, especially if you're on other medications. And you really, you think babies should be vaccinated because they've never been exposed to COVID and they've never... As the grandfather of a now unbelievably cute nine-month-old granddaughter, I absolutely think everybody over six months of age should be vaccinated. Because if you look interestingly at the group most likely to be hospitalized right now, not surprisingly, it's people over 75. The second most likely group to be hospitalized are children less than four. And, the, and including healthy children. Why is that? The reason is, is they are the least vaccinated group. Only 10% of children less than four are vaccinated. 90% are unvaccinated. And so they're getting hospitalized. And so this virus is, is around um, babies or come into this world without uh, much immunity against this virus. They get a little passive immunity from their mothers, which is gone four to six months later. So at six months of age, they are fully susceptible to this virus. And uh, it can be a, it can be a killer. There's been about 2,000 children less than 18 years of AH who have died from this virus. So please get vaccinated. So we will, we're destined to learn a lot about it this winter, assuming this is a winter respiratory virus. That's not clear yet either, but it seems like um, this is the highest level of immunity our population's ever had going into winter. So let's talk about cousin influenza and the flu virus, the flu vaccine. Um, it's strain specific and I've heard it explained, you can do it a lot better than I, that you look at the patterns of infection 
in the Southern Hemisphere. Right. So, so what happens is every March, the Food and Drug Administration's Vaccine Advisory Board sits down and then looks at the map of the world. And we get presentations from the CDC, the World Health Organization, um, even the Department of Defense, which which then presents to us how the viruses, these flu viruses are moving across the world. And we especially look at those countries whose winters precede ours, like Australia or like South America, as a way of predicting what's about to come into the United States. And, and, and we're usually right. But uh, three times in the past 20 years, we were wrong. On, on a particular strain called H3N2, which is one of the common circulating strains. We were just mm-hmm. wrong. So even if you'd gotten that vaccine and then, then you were exposed to the H3N2 strain of flu that was circulating, you had very little protection. And so this is a little more of a strain-specific phenomenon. And it's really important to get the flu vaccine. But I think what we're mm-hmm. going to learn this year is going to be really interesting because you're right. We have the highest level of population immunity for COVID that we've ever had. We have a high level of a hybrid immunity. Is it going to be flu-like? In other words, because every year with flu, you'll see hundreds of thousands of hospitalizations, you'll see tens of thousands of deaths. Is that what will also happen with COVID now? Um, because COVID is a little different in the sense that those those sort of T-cell recognition sites are relatively conserved. And T-cells do appear to be important. We'll see. I, I mean, I think we're going to learn a lot about COVID, but I think it's probably going to become a flu-like pattern would be my Mm-hmm. Well, the flu usually peaks between December and February, so we want people to get vaccinated by the end of October. I mean, I was it last year or the year prior that it was starting to seep out in September, but pretty much October peaks between December and February. Um, super contagious. We know to look for runny nose, cough, muscle aches. Um, the most common complication is pneumonia. And as we stress, people can die from the flu. Don't hesitate. What is the distinction if you stand in line at, at, at my work anyway, at the hospital, there's a flu vaccine for a certain age, but over 65? Can you distinguish that for us? Right. So, so um, those over 65 benefit from uh, several different vaccines. There's a high dose, so-called high dose flu vaccine, which has more of the uh, flu uh, proteins in there, higher quantities of flu proteins in there than the the, the lower dose, um, or the mm-hmm. adjuvanted vaccine, Fluad, or there's a recombinant DNA vaccine that also also is essentially a high dose vaccine called FluBlock. So all three of those vaccines can, are a value for the over 65 year old because when you get older, you don't make as good of an immune response, so you need a little more right. of a boost, which is to say, give a higher quantity of the viral proteins or give an adjuvant mm-hmm. or both. And how often would you say that? And again. <laughs> We can't predict, but on occasion, some flu season, the the virus can mutate during the season and a person who has followed the rules can get flu twice in a season, or maybe they haven't gotten vaccinated at all. But that's an interesting thing to keep in mind. So again, if somebody has symptoms, we want to get them treated early, call your doctor, don't sit around and think, well, maybe, maybe not, because we want you to be, the best effect is within the first 24, 30 hours. Tamiflu? Yeah, flu, mm-hmm. flu is always mutating. I mean, it mutates not only just from year to year, but even during the season, even during an infection, mm-hmm. natural infection. Why, um, you know, it, it, the flu vaccine, while effective, is about sort of 50 to 60 percent effective at preventing severe disease. But that's that com- is compares poorly to the other vaccine. It's because this virus is always mutating. I I, I trained in a flu lab at Wistar, the Wistar Institute uh, uh, in the 1980s. And the guy who was the head of that lab, a man named Walter Gerhardt, said something to me that I never forgot. And it's true. He said, if you want a research career that lasts for the rest of your life, study in flu. Makes sense. And um, 
so those at risk for serious uh, infections, as you mentioned, people over 65, and that's why we give a little bit more concentrated vaccination. Yeah, higher dose, but everybody over six months of age benefits from a flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, those those over over six months of age also benefits from a a COVID vaccine. The question is relative risk. You know, I mean, it's that's what we're distinguishing here, um, right? Because the risk is so much greater in high risk groups than it is, say, in an otherwise young healthy person. Does it make sense to give a young healthy person a, a vaccine? And I think that's that's uh, the question that we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in terms of watching extra carefully for serious cases of the flu, the over sixty five. Uh, population and maybe children under age two, and also you know p- people who have or under age five medical mm-hmm. conditions. You're right, and and people mm-hmm. compromise. Tamiflu, this sort of antiviral agent, does have some effect. It's not exactly a wonder drug um, for for influenza. Um, it, if given early, it, it does seem to decrease the the number of days of symptoms by a day or two, but it's not uh, dramatic. Mm-hmm. I wonder how often, probably not very. Do people, how do you test for the flu? We should ask that. How do you make that diagnosis? Well, so, so I don't know the commercially available flu test. Uh, you might, you might uh, correct me on this. But I, so, so in the our hospital, for example, when someone comes in with respiratory symptoms and they're ill, you know, we sent a, send a respiratory panel to see whether they are infected with influenza or parainfluenza or respiratory syncytial virus or COVID. So we, we do that in the hospital. But to my knowledge, that's not a commercially available test. And maybe it's because the antiviral agent is, is not as dramatically effective as, say, a drug like Paxlovid. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking, say somebody has COVID. I'm going to back up here a little bit. And they have been symptomatic and their symptoms are starting to lessen and they've taken Paxlovid. Uh, and it's day six or day seven and they want to go and mingle um, and they test. Are they likely to stay positive for a while? Yes, but see, the test is a so-called PCR test, or polymerase chain reaction, which tests for the viral genome. Um, if you really want to know whether you're shedding infectious virus, the kind of virus that you know could um, is, is a, dra- a more direct correlation with, with uh, what's going to be uh, contagious. What's happened? That's, that's, a, that's a research test. That's not a test that's commercially available. So the, the PCR can, in some ways can be a little too sensitive, where you're asymptomatic, you're really not shedding much infectious virus anymore, but you're still PCR positive. So it's a little tricky. I would say probably for all practical purposes, if you have symptoms, respiratory symptoms in the in a winter month, assume that you're infected. If you're if and you're if you're in a high risk group, test to see whether you have COVID. If you're if you're positive, treat yourself with Paxlovid if you can, mm-hmm. um, or Remdesivir if you can. If you're not in a high risk group. Um, then just assume that you have either COVID or a respiratory syncytial virus or flu and stay home if you can, because all of those viruses can cause hospitalizations and deaths. And, and then once you're, you're uh, if, and if you can't stay home, at least wear a mask so that you're not infecting other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, 10,000 to 14,000 older adults who die every year from respiratory syncytial yeah. virus. 80,000 babies who are hospitalized every year with respiratory syncytial virus. And every year with influenza, you have hundreds of thousands of hospitalizations and tens of thousands of deaths. All those viruses can cause hospitalizations and sure. deaths. I think we, we now only, we've kind of grandfathered those viruses in 
as if I've had parents call me and say, you know, I tested him. He's COVID negative. Not have to worry anymore. And you can send him, you know, to school when he has symptoms and all those viruses can be harmed. Well, that's exactly it. You still should be hand washing. <laughs> Even if it's not COVID, there are lots of cooties to be shared. And we want people to wash their hands before they pick up food and put it in their mouths. But I mean, I've had patients say to me, okay, well, I had symptoms and I'm going to test after I take Paxlovid or whatever it is for five days or, you know, and if I'm, and I don't, I don't know how to break their hearts and say, you're probably going to stay positive on your home test because it's picking up the history of the bug that was there, but it's no longer contagious. So I think that's an important distinction. It doesn't mean go out and share the love. It means still be careful. And as you say, for at least another five days, wear a mask. Yeah, I think, I think that's I fair. think that's only uh, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, one other thing, there, there's no such thing as Paxlovid rebound. Um, that that was just a, Thank a, you. a long-term. Uh, the, the, what happens is there's two phase, largely two phases of COVID illness. The first, the virus reproducing itself is king. In the second phase, the immune response is king. And it's really in that second phase that your symptoms get worse. So when you treat very early on, when at most you have mild symptoms- I see. Um, for five days. Now you're moving into the second phase of illness. So your symptoms can get a little worse. And people always appreciate that as rebound. It's not, it should, it shouldn't be called that. It should be called maybe COVID rebound, but, but that sometimes makes people not want to take Paxlovid and that's not a good Excellent explanation. Not that I'm surprised. That's such an important distinction. You don't want people to not take it and you don't want people to be afraid. Let's take a little break and more on winter viruses. And now for your real champion, I call this segment Hector Feliciano and the Cathedral Kitchen. In 1976, Mother Teresa visited Philadelphia when the International Eucharistic Congress convened here. Four young students from Rutgers University were so moved by her spirit that they began a mission and started feeding the hungry people of Camden from the trunks of their cars. Eventually, they partnered with the St. Vincent de Paul Society and the Cathedral Kitchen was born. The goodwill quickly spread to multiple churches and synagogues who sustained the operation by donating frozen casseroles each week that were transported by volunteers. With dedication, persistence, and fundraising, a new building opened in 2008. And in that year alone, the staff served 100,000 meals. The kitchen provides meals to local shelters, after-school programs, and other community organizations. And in time, they added a rooftop garden to grow fresh vegetables and herbs and the CK Cafe that's open to the public. And how's this for innovative? In 2009, the Cathedral Kitchen launched the Culinary Arts Training Program to provide basic culinary training and job placement. Three times each year, the 15-week program trains 20 students at a time who are taught by the CK chef and adjunct professors. Guest chefs from local restaurants also volunteer their time to teach classes in their areas of expertise. In 2015, the Cathedral Kitchen, or CK, began social enterprise initiatives. For instance, the culinary staff has a contract with Volunteers of America to prepare and deliver 1,600 contract meals a day to halfway houses and shelters in the area. That's 1,600 meals a day, every day, 365 days a year. The food generates income to help fund human service and job training programs at CK. 
Well, after 40 years and 1 million meals, the CK is now the largest emergency food provider in Camden, New Jersey. Now I'd like to introduce you to one of the faces of the Cathedral Kitchen. Meet Hector Feliciano. He spent his early years with his aunt in Puerto Rico, then met his mother in Camden for the first time at age 12. He wasn't happy, so he ran away. He entered foster care and finally called jail his home for over 27 years. Near the end of a 15-year sentence, Hector was living in Fletcher House, a re-entry program for those who have been incarcerated. He enrolled in the culinary arts program and was a star student. Hector made such an impression with his skills, focus, and determination that Cathedral Kitchen offered him a position to join the staff. He continued to shine with his talent and efficiency, and within three short months, he was promoted to sous chef for the Volunteers of America contract. It gets better. Now he's the lead on another social enterprise contract called Yay Lunch. Hector is so proud to describe the menu, which includes healthy items like chicken wraps, carrot and celery sticks. 1,200 cold lunches go out to about nine schools. During the colder months, he'll be sure to produce 1,200 hot lunches a day. You can hear the enthusiasm and feel the joy in Hector's voice. He used to watch Dr. Oz when he was incarcerated. He believes that sugar lights up the brain like Christmas lights, and that's not good for kids. He also values what he learned in nutrition class, and cooking is his new passion. He loves getting out of his comfort zone and trying new recipes. He explains that, quote, when you live on the street, you have to project a tough guy persona to protect yourself. And actually, I came to not mind jail because it became routine and people didn't expect anything of me. Well, now he's making meals for halfway houses, including the one where he once lived. What he found at Cathedral Kitchen is respect, not pity. They made him feel like a human being. Hector says, they saw something in me that I didn't see. They saw good in me, and now they genuinely care about me, and it makes me more empathetic. When I see men in programs, I feel their pain. I'm able to show them something different. The world is tough, and sometimes people make bad decisions. So when somebody offers a little hope, grab on. His message is that in life, sometimes you get lost, but you should always look for the silver lining. Never give up. Hector finds real joy in serving and interacting with the public. He loves his new life so much that he often volunteers at the cathedral kitchen on his days off. It's an opportunity and a life he has always dreamed of, and he's incredibly grateful to have a second chance, especially to reconnect with his children. Now think about it. The word felicidad translates to happiness in English. Hector Feliciano has found that happiness he has longed for, and he's sharing that happiness with thousands of other people, and we thank him for that. We salute you, Hector Feliciano, and all the magnificent staff, administrators, board members, the angels who make Cathedral Kitchen such a heavenly place. You're real champions. Send a donation. Share time as a volunteer. The website is cathedralkitchen.org or call 856-964-6771. That's cathedralkitchen.org 
856-964-6771. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back, and we thank our friend and guest, Dr. Paul Offit, for shedding so much light on the COVID vaccine and an update on the flu vaccine and therapies. And now RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. And I could say firsthand, um, I am blessed with four grandchildren who, like your granddaughter, are adorable and delicious, but they are little Petri dishes. And um, two years ago, in the fall of 2021, I experienced RSV. Let me tell you, I have not been that sick in years, and I can see why it's a good idea to address the issue. Can you give us a little background? I mean, it's kind of interesting that that vaccine is popping up now, but maybe it's part of the triple-demic, as you say, of COVID, flu, and now RSV. Right. So RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, attacks sort of the extremes of age. So, so it attacks babies, primarily babies less than three months of age, and it attacks mm. older adults, the elderly. Mm-hmm. Um, for babies, it's the most common reason to come into the hospital. There's anywhere from uh, uh, 60,000 to 80,000 hospitalizations a year in babies, and there's about 100 to 300 deaths in babies. And older adults, there's also, you know, about 150,000 hospitalizations a year, and there's about uh, 10,000 to 14,000 deaths in older adults. So, so, so we'll start with the adults first. There now are two RSV vaccines for adults to be given over 60 years of age to people who I would argue are in high-risk groups. It kind of got a soft recommendation from the CDC, which is to say the vaccine should be considered for anyone over 60 years of age in consultation with your healthcare advisor. Um, I think by okay. that they meant if you look at who gets hospitalized with RSV, 95% of older adults who are hospitalized with RSV have a high-risk medical condition, diabetes, mm-hmm. heart disease, lung disease. Um, so if, you're, if you don't have a high-risk condition, you're unlikely to be hospitalized. So that's that group. For babies, because babies really are hospitalized in the first, primarily in the first, uh, not just only six months of life, but three months of life, that's too young to get an active vaccine. So, so they have two options then. Well, three actually. Right. They have three options. One is immunize the mother. And now there is a vaccine made by Pfizer that can be given to the mother, um, preferably um, between 32 and 36 weeks gestation, sort of mm-hmm. between ja- September and January, um, when, if you're between 32 to 36 weeks gestation then, because then the baby is going to be born during that RSVC. 
Mm -hmm. um, the second option is a monoclonal antibody, the trade name for which is Bayfortis, which is given as a, a, a half a, 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 a very, very small amount, half a milliliter of, um, of fluid that can be given at the same time of vaccines and should be given right before the RSV season, like around September. The RSV season sort of starts September, October, peaks. Is that oral? No, no, it's a shot. I said it's both a shot. Okay. So, so and, and that it's a long acting monoclonal, like Evusheld was a long acting monoclonal against COVID. This is a long acting monoclonal that lasts for at least six months and takes you through the RSV season. And so mm -hmm. that's clearly a value. And it's recommended now for every baby less than eight months of age as they're heading into the RSV season. So that's that's that, the monoclonal. Then the third option, which is cheap and safe, is breastfeeding. Um, breastfeeding is as effective as either of those other first two, but it's not easy. It's very easy to, to, to recommend it, but it's not so easy to, to exclusively breastfeed for the first six months of life. But for those who are committed to doing it, it's really as effective as either of the first two, either the, the vaccine for the mother or the monoclonal antibody for the baby. So the mother is vaccinated during pregnancy. She discusses with her doctor. The ideal time is to vaccinate the mom between weeks 32 and 36 of gestation, hopefully between what the months of September um, and January. And it, that I would guess that protects the infant up to about age six months. Does that give immunity to the baby for about six months? At least. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a long acting monoclonal. So it'll protect that baby for the first six months when that baby is most at risk for severe RSV disease. Mm -hmm. And I guess um, all infants that are younger than eight months who are born during or entering their first RSV season get an RSV. I, I mean, my my daughter, who's a big girl now, she's over thirty, uh, had RSV as an she was five weeks old. Oh my gosh, how scary to see a little baby uh, struggling to breathe, and they put her under a tent, and I never. I stayed awake for three days just looking at her. I was afraid to walk away. I was afraid to turn my head. So scary. So pay attention to this advice about the uh, RSV vaccine. So all infants younger than eight months get right. a vaccination. Mm -hmm. so heading into the RSV season. So, so we get in September. So for example, if you were born in February, um, yes, you're now tailing off in the RSV season. By the time you're eight months of age, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're you know, the RSV season would have just started. So you can argue, you know, you, you didn't really need it. Um, cause you really just want to get through, through that first eight months. And, and, and so, but if you're born say in September, you know, then you can get an RSV, that, that monoclonal antibody right then. And so I think that's the, in some ways that's, it's like the good news, bad news. I mean, the good news about getting the, the vaccine for the mother is that you make a so-called polyclonal response, meaning the, the antibodies are directed against many different sites on that RSV fusion protein, which is in many ways very similar to the COVID spike protein. When you get a monoclonal antibody, that's directed just against one particular immunologically distinct site, so-called epitope, on that protein. And so, um, the, but on the other hand, for, for the Bay Fortis, for the monoclonal antibody, you can give it right before the season, right? It's much more easy to target that than to try and time the pregnancy so that, you know, the, right. the bodies will protect you during the RSV. Yeah. And your body doesn't always follow the plan anyway. But, and I guess children who are between the ages of eight and nine, 19 months who are at increased risk for severe RSV if it comes um, and they're entering their second season, you might consider a second shot for them. Maybe children have cystic fibrosis or if they're immunosuppressed. Right. Cystic fibrosis, immunosuppressed, um, uh, either um, Alaska Native or American Indian. And um, 
And those those are the big or people who have preemies, chronic lung disease, premature babies, pre maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. Now, I guess the big question people are asking as well is people are really trying to um, listen to uh, good advice, and I'll and I'll have patients ask me, should I? Can I get one, two, or three shots at once? And um, I guess my question is, can the side effects of two vaccines? Let's say somebody wants to get COVID and flu shots together. Um, could that bump the side effects, number one? Secondly, if you have warring factions looking for attention, you got the COVID guy, COVID stimulator here, and the flu over here, is your immune system going to say, you know, it's like uh, that that game um, oh, on the boardwalk, you hit the mole, guacamole, <laughs> you hit one and another one pops up. What does your immune system think? Do I, do I destroy the COVID threat or the flu? Does it decrease the protection if you're giving two shots at once. Right. So, so uh, what the FDA often will require is so-called uh, concomitant use studies where you have to show, and this was done with RSV and, and, um, and the um, flu vaccine, and, um, and, and to see whether there was uh, the so-called non-inferiority, meaning that you didn't write the classic double negative, that you didn't uh, have a lesser immune response to either of the vaccines when they were given together, and there, there was no, no lesser immune response. So Good. Sometimes there can be a little more in the way of side effects just because you're getting two different shots. But I think you, certainly your immune system can handle it. I mean, you know, your immune system is broad and diverse. I mean, you were, you were exposed to trillions of bacteria all, all the time. I mean, you know, the food you eat isn't sterile. The dust you inhale isn't sterile. I mean, you're constantly bombarded with challenges from the immune system. So this is, vaccines are a fairly trivial challenge to your immune system, but you see that. So that's why people are scared of it because you're being injected with it. But it really, I mean, your immune system can handle. So that's that. RSV with flu. How about COVID with flu? Or I'm really trying to well, well, do a brain twizzler here. <laughs> you said one can get those kids. Oh, good. Yeah. At the same time. Okay, good. So people can walk away knowing they can do the combo. Probably yeah. not a good idea for your poor arm or arms to get all three at once. Right. My mother, who's 94, got all three at once. It's, it is oh, so God bless her. Well, she's listened to her baby boy. Um, so again, those people for RSV, we want to emphasize 60 and older, Talk to your doctor if you're at higher risk, the same as the other winter respiratory infections, chronic lung disease, heart disease. We didn't really talk about neuromuscular uh, diseases because if you have a degenerative neurologic disease, your lungs might be clear, but if you don't have the muscle power to take deep breaths, it'd be hard to clear a cough. Yes. Is that a good that's, group that's to include? Anything mm -hmm. is your ability to. to mm -hmm. um, and again, people that either work in a nursing home, or if you live in a household where uh, one of your relatives is immunosuppressed or has a uh, an organ transplant, we want to be especially careful about them. Um, so again, the best time to get the vaccine, if you get the RSV vaccine. Well, so, so if you're, if you're, if you're an adult, um, the, you should get um, the RSV preferably as, as you um, enter the season. But it does appear to have efficacy for two years, the RSV vaccine. Oh, for wow. Um, for mothers, uh, 30, you get it 32 to 36 weeks gestation. Uh, and um, then um, the, the monoclonal antibody is given right before mm -hmm. the RSV season. So Very helpful to know. Uh, Let's take a little break, and when we come back, we'll have a wrap-up of all the good topics we've just covered. 
Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We call this segment Your Weekly Prescription. A giant thank you to Dr. Paul Offit, who has explained things so clearly about the triple-demic. COVID and the vaccine for this season, 2023-2024, and brought us always updated information about the flu and flu vaccine. And now the new player on the block in terms of a vaccine, RSV or respiratory syncytial virus. And with so many grandparents helping with their grandchildren, RSV is is nothing to ignore. So Paul, what's your take home message about um, each and every one of these viruses and how people can protect themselves? Right. So I'll start with RSV. Um, RSV is the most common reason for a young child to be admitted to the hospital. 80,000 hospitalizations a year. There is not a winter I can think of in my decades of taking care of children at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia where our hospital and ICU are often overwhelmed with respiratory syncytial virus. So oh. now for the first time, we have a vaccine to prevent this. Now, this was a virus that was isolated in 1957, and people have been trying to make a vaccine pretty much unsuccessfully since the early 1960s. And now we can make it. Now we have arrows in our quiver to be able to fight this. And I think the, the most powerful way we can fight it, I think it was with that monoclonal antibody, Bayfortis, otherwise known as the, the generic name is Nercevimab, that can be given as a single, just sort of, you know, 0.5 milliliter dose intramuscularly um, right before the RSV season. It's a long-acting monoclonal antibody that will dramatically reduce the risk of, um, of hospitalization. And I think that is a powerful tool. So um, I think that's really important. Um, in terms of um, flu, you know, we shouldn't grandfather in flu. Two years before COVID came into the United States, there were 800,000 hospitalizations from influenza and 60,000 deaths. We have a vaccine to prevent flu every year that doesn't completely prevent it, but it gives you about 60% effective protection against severe disease. And it's an important vaccine to get every year. Um, In terms of COVID, we shouldn't, uh, although the pandemic is over. I think if you argue that a pandemic is something that changes the way we live, work, or play, this virus no longer is changing the way we live, work, or play. I mean, I you know, went to the Eagles game where there's like, you know, 67,000 people screaming without masks. So, you know, it's not, uh, you know, I think we, we don't fear that this, that virus anymore, but the virus is around and it's going to be around for a long time. There are four strains of human coronavirus that circulate, all of which probably originated in animals like bats. And, and one of those viruses came uh, into the human population in the late 1700s. Another came into the human population in the late 1800s. I think you can assume SARS-CoV-2 virus is going to be with us for a long time. And we now have a way to prevent that. And I think it's especially important to prevent children. They are the least vaccinated group. And the least of the least vaccinated are those less than four years of age. 90% of children less than four years of age who are over six months of age have not been vaccinated. And that's why if you're less than four, that is the second most common group to be hospitalized. And that is unconscionable. Mm -hmm. I mean, the most common group to be hospitalized are those over 75. That makes sense because they are the most frail and least able to make a good immune response. But 
children mm-hmm. less than four are quite capable of making an immune response, and there's no reason to leave them uh, pr- uh, unprotected. They'll be protected usually from antibodies they get from their mothers for the first six months of life. But after that, they are fully susceptible to this virus, so protect them. I got it. So up to six months, mama's uh, antibodies protect the baby, but under age four, because we're coming up on the four-year anniversary of the big wave of COVID. Any big side effects in infants with the COVID? We don't know yet, I guess. Do we know that much about, uh, you know, under age four, their responses to the vaccine? I know the the small percentage of especially healthy young men who got myocarditis or inflammation of the heart muscle, pericarditis, the sac around the heart, was a small uh, but real uh, side effect. Are we seeing that in little, little children under age four or five? No, then that was the worry. The worry was that when you looked at myocarditis, it was it was primarily a, a phenomenon of the sort of 16 to 29-year-old, but especially the 16 and 17-year-old who had a risk of myocarditis of roughly 1 in 6,600. And, and so it was the younger person who was at risk for myocarditis. And so you were worried that as you got younger and younger, the risk would get greater and greater. Right. That wasn't true. Well, if you looked at sort of the 12 to 16-year-old, it was it was, it was was less. And then if you looked at the less than 12-year-old, it was dramatically less. Now you're starting to talk about sort of the one in 500,000 risk. And then for the less than five-year-old, to date, it hasn't been seen. So mm-hmm. that, that was reassuring because you didn't know. Because frankly, we still aren't clear about what the cause or causes of myocarditis following that vaccine are. But remember, the virus does it too. I mean, when 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 2020 hit and our hospital oh, sure. was with COVID, um, one of the most common reasons for children to come into the hospital was the so-called MIS-C, which is this multi-system inflammatory disease. Yeah. 75% of those kids had myocarditis, some very severely and some fatally. So uh, the virus also causes this too. So that's why it's it's especially important to prevent this disease. All right. Good distinction for people to hear. Paul, if people want to read more about vaccines in general, vaccine.chop.edu, CHOP for Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, but it's always easiest for people to take that home, vaccine.chop.edu. Um, I want to hear all about your book that I can't wait for people to have access to it. Tell me when it's over. Right. So a book called Tell Me When It's Over it comes out in February next year. Um, it's just a, sort of goes through a, a lot of what's been going on. I mean, was it a lab leak or not? I would go through all the evidence. Um, was Why is it that that although the anti-vaccine movement never really had a politics, um, on the left, it was kind of all things natural. Don't inject me with preservatives and manufacturing residuals and, and uh, inactivating agents and, preser- and, and that. And on the right, it was kind of a libertarian government off my back. That's what it is now. It's I think we leaned into a libertarian left hook by mandating masks, mandating vaccines. And so now it's really almost uh, entirely on the right that you see this uh, pushback against vaccines. Well, and I hope that if it is uh, appropriate to wear a mask, that when you see people, you go into a store where they say, we wear masks here, and half the people are wearing it on their upper lip and not their nose and this and that, that maybe your book will explain that, that that's why sometimes people would say, well, masks aren't effective. Well, that's not if you're wearing it on your elbow. But um, I can't wait to read your book. Tell me when it's over. It will be out in February. You heard it first here on your radio, doctor. (laughs) I want an autographed copy, please, Paul. Paul, thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to have you as a guest. And we learned so much from you. And I thank you for all your wonderful work. You've saved so many lives. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Your Radio Doctor today and every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Remember, you can also live stream the show when it airs or listen again on odyssey.com. 
A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America. If you would like to partner in the show or advertise with us, shoot an email to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Please follow us and like us on social media. Now I'd like to share a wonderful opportunity with you. As the cold weather approaches, help the wonderful staff at St. John's Hospice. For over 60 years, the ministry of St. John's Hospice has served and assisted the poor and homeless in the Philadelphia community. Next Saturday, November 4th, St. John's Hospice is holding their third annual Boot Up Philly. The event begins at 10 in the morning in the parking lot at 222 North 17th Street. That's 17th Street between Race and Vine. They will provide free cold weather essentials, new boots, socks, winter coats, underwear, personal items, providing life-sustaining items of warmth to the vulnerable and marginalized men, women, and children of our city. Would you like to donate or volunteer? The website, St. John's Hospice, that's Saint spelled out, S-A-I-N-T, John's without an apostrophe, hospice, stjohnshospice.org, or call 215-563-7763, extension 133 website, stjohnshospice.org. And finally, hats off to the Phillies for being such wonderful sportsmen and for their special salute to the Philadelphia police officer, Raul Ortiz, who was injured in a shooting at the Philadelphia International Airport last week, and for Officer Richard Mendez, who lost his life that same night. They were honored during Game 1 of the National League Championship Series between the Phillies and the Arizona Diamondbacks on Monday night. Phillies are up tonight at 8.07 p.m., so let's all say a little prayer for the fighting fells. And while you're at it, add a little prayer for peace in our world, our country, our cities, families, and in our own hearts. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered.